In the power of his grace, in the power of his name, Jesus lifts us up. But do you believe it? That's always the question. You can sing it, you can feel it, but when it comes down to it, do you really believe those words are true? Do you really believe it? If you have your Bible, please open it to um, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're going to be looking again at verses 1 through uh, 13. Last week, I, I, read, I read a wonderful uh, description of the Advent from uh, Connections magazine. And, this, and, and, and the word says, life is a constant Advent season. We are continually waiting to become, to discover, to complete, to fulfill. Hope, struggle, fear, expectation, and fulfillment are all part of our Advent experience. The world is not as just, not as loving, not as whole as we know it can be and should be. But the coming of Christ and his presence among us as one of us gives us reason to live in hope. That light shatters the darkness that we can be liberated from our fears and prejudices, that we are never alone and we are never abandoned. Again, do you believe those words? Do you believe those words? Truth can often be bedridden. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Alex? I mean, it can lie dormant in our soul and just collect dust. That's what I mean. Because we often really forget Jesus is with us in this life. From one struggle to the next, we doubt his presence. We question his faithfulness. There's truly unbelief in all of us. And unbelief can be a close companion for some of us in this life. As I said last week, we can binge live in practical atheism. We can live there as if God is really not in my life, as if I'm really alone. This Advent series is going to hopefully minister to all of our doubts, all of our unbelief, and hopefully help us from binge living in practical atheism, that we can actually live in belief and not unbelief. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us in the flesh. In all that you go through and will go through in this life, he is. Whether you feel it, whether you believe it's true, it's still true. He is with you. We began this series last week in Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. And in these verses, um, Luke is teaching us that Jesus is with us in our temptation struggles. He's with us in our temptation struggles. We all struggle with temptations. We all do. Now, you don't have to come in here and pretend like you're some holy roller, as if you're above it. We all struggle with temptations. None of us get beyond that. If Jesus was tempted, are you better than Jesus? No. So you struggle with temptations too. Just be honest and real about it. Here's God's word. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those 40 days. 
And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man should not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And he said to him, to you I will give you all this authority and the glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he took Jesus to Jerusalem and put him on the top highest point of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And again, Jesus answered him, it is said, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. This is God's holy word. Please pray with and for me. Father, as we go to the preaching of your truth, we, we need your spirit, Lord. We need your spirit. We need him, the, the, the one who lives, and all of us who have faith in you. We need him to, to minister to our fears and our unbelief. Because we really do sometimes think that you're not with us in our present. That you're not with us in our here and now. And so we need the spirit of God. To, we need him to come and minister to those fears that we have. Show us. Show us who you are. That you are really Emmanuel. So, Holy Spirit, move in us, encourage us, and help our unbelief. It is in Christ's holy name that I pray. Amen. Jesus is led, in the, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's 40 days of temptations. It's 40 days of, of resisting. And it's 40 days of fasting. And when, when those days are over, Jesus is really tired. He's weak. And he's hungry, really hungry. If they had a five guys there, he would, he would want five guys. So he's hungry at the end of those 40 days. And then after those 40 days, the enemy comes and tempts him directly with three temptations. And those three direct temptations are the climax of the enemy's attack on Jesus. We talked about the first direct temptation last week. And we saw that Jesus is with us in our temptations to meet our immediate needs in a way that dishonors God. He's with us in our temptations to meet our immediate needs in a way that dishonors God. Jesus has empathy for those of us in that temptation. He knows what it's like because he experienced it for himself. The enemy tempts him the same way. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Listen, he's hungry. Okay, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. So his immediate need is for food. And he has the power to turn that stone into bread. And the enemy says, do it. Feed yourself. And if Jesus did that, he would be using his powers in a way that was for selfish gain. And it would be dishonoring God. But he resists the devil. He resists temptation. He, stayed on, he stood on God's promises and the promises of God's word. 
he quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3 to the enemy. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, do you believe that? Is that true or is that just a good scripture memory verse? That you don't live by bread alone, but you live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Process Right is one of my all-time favorite game shows. I watched it all the time as a kid with my grandparents. And probably like all kids, I envisioned myself being on the show and being called down. Alex Shipman, come on down. We're the next contestant on The Process Right. Oh, my childhood dreams. The show always ended with two winners from the first and second showcase showdown playing the showcase. And the, and the showcase is the presentation of all kind of prizes that one contestant could win. It could be trips. It could be a car. It could be money. It was all kind of stuff. And, and so each of the two contestants, they must bid on that showcase without overbidding. And the one who comes closest to the price wins the showcase. As it says, the showcase can be yours if the price is right. It can be yours if the price is right. Satan's second direct temptation to Jesus is like the Price is Right showcase. The enemy showcases to Jesus all kinds of prizes. He tells him, all these prizes can be yours, Jesus, if the price is right. If the price is right, I'll give all these prizes to you, Jesus. He, he tempts Jesus with a false promise, with a string attached. Let's put it this way. There's a catch to the false promise the enemy makes to Jesus. And there's a catch to the false promises he makes to you as well. Look at verse 5. The enemy takes Jesus, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. That's a showcase. I'm showcasing to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He's putting before Jesus' eyes. Look, Jesus, look at all these kingdoms. I'm showcasing them before you. These are, the, these are prizes that I'm going to give you. The price is right. See, it's a false promise because Satan doesn't have the absolute authority to give to Jesus what he's promising to Jesus. Now, he's a ruler of the world, but he's not God. God is still creator of his universe. And he only can give what God allows him to give, you see. God and devil ain't on the same level. Please know that. They're not on the same level. He's here. God is there. And so he's making his promises to Jesus as if he can do it. He says, I, 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 I would give all this authority, all this glory I would give to you. That's the promise. All this authority, all the glory of these kingdoms have been given to me, and I can give it to whom I will. He tempts Jesus with earthly power, earthly status, earthly riches, earthly privilege, and earthly authority. He's offering Jesus earthly thrones, earthly nations, and earthly kingdoms. It can be yours, Jesus, if the price is right. He wants Jesus can be the center of all these earthly kingdoms. It's really a temptation for self-glory, for self-protection, for self-sufficiency, or as I like to call it, self-preservation. All this authority... And all this glory that he's promising to give Jesus, it would guarantee self 
preservation. Now, when you think about this temptation, what does it look like for you in your life? What does it look like for you in your life to be tempted this way? What kind of prizes is the enemy showcasing before you today at this moment? Have you ever been tempted with self-preservation? You see, protection of one's life is a basic human instinct. Because if it comes down between me and you, well, we know who I'm choosing. Enemy knows it. He knows that. And he uses that against us. He tempts us with it. See, he is the temptation whisperer. Remember now, he's the temptation whisperer. And he whispers something into our ear. Deceptive yet persuasively sweet words in moments of weakness and blind vanity. He comes and says to you this. God doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. Have you ever been tempted with those words? God doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. And what's best for you right now is self-preservation. Choose it. Protect your privilege. Protect your influence. Protect your reputation. Protect your material possessions. Protect your power. Protect your rights. Protect your happiness. Christians in America, at least for myself, aren't really interested in all the kingdoms of the world. We're just interested in one kingdom, America. I'm interested in that kingdom. You know why? Because I have privileges here. I have church privilege. I have religious privilege. I have privileges I really don't want to lose. Privileges that I have come to enjoy. Privileges that I even feel entitled to. And privileges that aren't really necessarily kingdom promises. Religious freedom is a privilege. But you can't chirp the scriptures and say it's a kingdom promise. It's a privilege because of where I live and where we live. And when these privileges are at risk of being taken away from us, guess who's coming to your ear? Guess who's going to come to your ear? Guess who's going to come and whisper to you those words? God doesn't know what's best for you right now. Look, look at what happened. Look, look at what's getting ready to be taken away from you. God doesn't know what's best for you. He's not doing what's best for you. You know what's best for you. Self-preservation is what's best for you. Protect your privilege. These are deceptive words, but persuasively sweet in moments of weakness and blind vanity. But there's a cost. There's a price. There's a catch. Can't make a deal with the devil and expect it not to cost you anything. And the same is true for Jesus in the wilderness. It's going to cost Jesus something to get these things that Satan is promising to give him. You see, the hardest temptation is not really the kingdom's. The heart of this temptation is not even self-preservation. The heart of this temptation is what is actually going to cost Jesus to get these things. And the, and the temptation whisperer tells him in verse 7, If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Or as Matthew 4, 9 says, All these I will give you if you bow down and worship me. That's the heart of the temptation. That's the price is Jesus' allegiance. The price is Jesus' worship. And so the question for us as individual Christians and corporate Christians is, what parts of our faith are we willing to compromise to protect our privilege? There aren't really necessarily kingdom promises. 
You may say, I'm not facing that now. One day you will face it. What are you willing to compromise in your faith to protect that wasn't really necessarily a kingdom promise? Who are you willing to bow down to to keep the privileges that we have in this country as Christians? Who are you willing to bow down to? Who am I willing to bow down to? Some of us are facing these temptations now. The temptation for self-preservation and for power. You face it in school. You face it on your job. You face it in relationships. You face it in family. You face it in politics. You, you feel the pressure. And you can even be honest about it. I feel the pressure. I don't know about you, but I do. I hear the enemy's voice in my ear. God doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. You're not alone in that temptation. You're not the only one who feels and struggles with that temptation. Jesus knows what you're facing. He knows it's hard, and he has empathy for you. He's Emmanuel. He knows the struggle is real. He's been tempted just like you, and yet he resists. Again, he he engages the enemy with the truth of God's word. He uses God's word to, to fight off the temptations of the devil. He, he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 13 here, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. That's true even when it's inconvenient in your life. If you never think God's words will be inconvenient in your life, then you ain't trying to apply it. Because if you're trying to live on it, oh, it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to cost you something. One of the things I learned about myself, I love the cross as long as I ain't got to bear it. I love the cross as long as I ain't got to bear it. What about you? I love it. Just don't ask me to bear it, Jesus. Just don't ask it to cost me anything. Just don't ask me to, to live uncomfortably. You got to know those weaknesses about yourself. Because the enemy knows it. And he will come. Now, I know Jesus has a huge advantage on us. I know this. I mean, he cry, he, Jesus Christ was crying out loud. So when, I, when I'm studying this, I'm like, come on, man. This ain't really fair. He's Jesus. I mean, I'm not Jesus. And so what, what, what am I to do? Because there's a difference between me and him. Even though he, we're different, God's truth is still the same. It still is the guiding principle of my life. In Jesus' life. You can stand upon it in the face of all temptations. Guess what? You have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus has. Do you believe that? Do you think Jesus had the tenth power of the Holy Spirit? You just had one power of it. That same Spirit that clothed Jesus is the same Spirit of God that lives in you. We simply have unbelief. We don't believe as much as we think we believe. Because he's in the wilderness, but he's in the, the Spirit's presence is with him. And that same presence is with you. Supernatural faith is what we possess as believers. To engage the spiritual warfare of life. Lean on that. Trust in that. The Spirit can help you stand on God's word when it's inconvenient. He can help you stand on it when it may cost you certain things. Now what happens if you give in to the temptation for self-preservation and power? What happens if you do compromise your faith for selfish gain? Because listen, we're all fallen creatures here. And some of us do give in. Own it. Confess it. 
Let conviction lead you to repentance. That's what you can do. For there is always mercy, grace, and forgiveness when you fall. That is also true. Jesus knows that you are nothing but dust. And he doesn't hold that against you like some other people will. He's Emmanuel. He's with you in your temptation struggles. You have to embrace that and live in it. The world is filled with what I like to call fanatics. A lot of fanatics. Religious fanatics. There are sportsmen fanatics. There are paleo fanatics. You know, crossfit fanatics. You know, political fanatics. Theological fanatics. I mean, there's fanatics everywhere. Maybe there's Christmas decorating fanatics. You may live next to one of them. There's ethnic fanatics, consumer fanatics, emotional fanatics, patriotic fanatics. And, you know, just talk to Alabama fans right now. You get a good picture of a fanatic. Now, I'm not hating them. Just saying. Just saying. Not hating. Go, go roll tide. Author Neil Postman says, the key to all fanatical beliefs is that they are all self-confirming. Self-confirming. The online dictionary of fanatics says, a person's filled with obsessive, single-minded, uncritical zeal. And another quote I found said, a fanatic, either religious or political, is a subject of strong delusions. Fanaticism is the enemy's final direct temptation of Jesus. He's, he's, he's going to tempt Jesus to be a religious fanatic who lacks basic common sense. He's going to even cause him, he's even going to misuse God's word in the process. See, the enemy takes Jesus to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he, he has him stand on the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem. Has him stand there. And while Jesus is on this temple, this is when the enemy tempts him. He says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from this temple. For it is written. He, he, called, he quotes scripture to Jesus too now. How about that? Satan quotes scripture to Jesus. Funny. It is written that he will command the angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That, that is, that's in the Bible, okay? The temptation whisperer is a clever trickster. Many tricks up his sleeve. And the misuse of God's word in your life is one of them. It's one of them. He misuses Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12, in his attempts to get Jesus to be a religious fanatic. You see, Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12 are true. Those words are true. All of God's word is true. But when his word is used in an attempt to force God to move, then that's a misapplication of his word. That's a misapplication of his word. Because that's what's happening here. Force God to move. Force God to move. And he's whispering those same words to Jesus. God doesn't know what's best for you, Jesus. You know what's best for you. So force God to prove that he cares for you. Force God to prove that he has your best interest in mind. Force him to show you he's faithful. He's tempting Jesus to test God's faithfulness by being a religious fanatic. Jesus is supposed to put himself in harm's way on purpose. On purpose. Seek out danger intentionally. 
throw yourself down from this temple in hopes that God will save you. Now, that's what a fanatic would do. Someone who doesn't have any common sense. Have you ever been tempted to intentionally seek out harm in hoping that God would preserve you? Have you ever been tempted to, to force God's hand to move on your behalf? Have you ever been tempted to test God's faithfulness? I think we all have heard the voice of the enemy when it comes to this temptation. Irrational thoughts on how to get God to move. He might not come to you like he comes to the enemy. So he might not come to you like he comes to Jesus. But he will come. He will come. You don't need to study for that test. If God cares for you, he'll give you the answers on the day of. He'll give you the answers on the day of. The pastor don't know what he's talking about. Y'all don't need marriage counseling. If God loves you, he's just going to magically fix all your problems. Just continue doing what you're doing. Everybody's doing a great job. Work? Who needs to work? You don't need to work. If God is faithful to you, he's just going to give you money to pay your bills. That the hardest temptation is a temptation not to live out your own responsibility. That so somehow you don't have to do common things and, and things that God has called you to do and hoping that God is going to still bail you out. We're all attempting in some areas of life not to live out our responsibilities. Oh, you don't have to, you don't have to be a good husband. Just continue living how you want to live. Live like a bachelor. You still be married. I guarantee you that ain't going to last. That's the hardest temptation. You don't have to be responsible, and God's still going to take care of you. Do what you're doing. Live how you want to live. Man, if God loves you, he's going to love you. He's going to accept you for you. That's the heart of it. Have you been tempted that way? Are you facing that temptation this morning? You're not alone. Again, he, he, he ain't going to come to us like he comes to Jesus. It's going to come in other forms of fashion. He's going to come to you with what works on you. What works on you. And that means you got to know your own weakness. Know your own vanity. See it. Because the enemy knows it. And guess what? He's going to use God's word to do it. To get you to fall. To get you to do things that would dishonor him. And if you're facing that today, you're not alone. You're never alone. Jesus is with you. And he doesn't look down on you with someone who lacks experience. He knows. He has empathy for you. Please know that. Jesus, again, doesn't change the way he engaged the enemy, even with this temptation. He still stands on God's word. Deuteronomy 6, 6, 16 is where he quotes to him. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Because all of these three temptations are a temptation for him to distrust God. That God is not faithful. That somehow God is holding out. The same way he came to Eve in the garden. That somehow God is holding out on you. That somehow he got these, these goodies over here and he ain't sharing them with you. That's, that's the thing. That's how he comes. Because if he can get you to question whether or not God is faithful to you, then you're going to operate out of that. You're going to do what's best for you. You're not going to choose God. You're not going to live on God's word. God's word, you've got to use God's word. You've got to be in God's word. It's useful and needed no matter what temptation you're going through in this life. And if you have saving faith in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you've got to ask him for help. Ask him for help. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has ever come you, overcome, overtaken you that is not common to man. Think about that. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That means we're all attempted with the same stuff. He says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when that temptation, he will also provide you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? You're not the only person who struggles with temptations. The temptation that you're struggling with, you think you're the only one? Trust me, trust me, you ain't the only one. That's a lie of the enemy. You're not in this game by yourself. There are other brothers and sisters who are here struggling with you. Don't let the image that people show you deceive you into believing they ain't struggling. We all struggle. Now, if you fall and give in to the temptations, and we all do, there is grace, there is mercy, and there is forgiveness. He's Emmanuel. He's not just there to to be with you in the temptation. He's there to forgive you when you fall because he knows you're going to fall. We sometimes think we're going to get to this place where I ain't going to fall no more. I'm not going to struggle no more. Yeah, that's in glory. That's when you get to heaven. But on this side of heaven, there will be struggles. There will will be temptations. But you're never alone in those temptations. Jesus is with you as one who understands, and as one who forgives you when you fall. So you don't have to pretend. I'm telling you, it's it's hard pretending. I've done that. It's hard trying to kill for image for people. I've done that. Man, it's freedom in just saying, you know what, yeah, I'm struggling right now. I'm tempted right now. Now, you got to be wise. You can't tell everybody your business. Again, that's not common sense either. You got to have a few people that you trust and your circle of trust. They say, hey, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Everybody can't be in your circle of trust, but some people need to be there. That when you're hurting and you're in the valley, you can call them, those brothers and sisters, and they'll be there for you. Jesus is in that circle. The Holy Spirit is in that circle. And you need some people who, who are human beings in that circle, too, that you can lean on. Hebrews 4:15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with you. He can. He will. And he does. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Think about that. In all the ways that you have been tempted, Christ has been tempted also. And yet without sin. And yet without sin. That's how he's different than us. And he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You can have confidence because you're coming to a high priest who is, who is different than any other high priest who have ever existed. I'm your pastor, but I'm not your high priest. Okay? Because sometimes I might not love you like you need to be loved. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I might not be there to answer your phone call. But Jesus... As Larry said, you know, there's no password. Pray. He's there with you. And you can have confidence because when you go to the throne of grace, you know the Father is never going to say you're not forgiven. He's never going to look at you and say you're not forgiven. 
He's never going to withhold affection. He's never going to say, you need to go straighten up, then come back. He's not going to say that to you. When you come to the throne of grace, you will receive mercy and grace and help in your time of need. Again, you've got to believe that. This stuff can't just be things that you hear from me for, for, a prep, for a prep talk. It has to be something that gets down in your soul that you actually believe it for yourself and for your family that Christ is with us in a real way. He is Emmanuel. Before I pray, I want us to spend just a few moments in prayer to yourself asking the Holy Spirit to make this real in your life. Then I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we're going to go ahead and do the benediction also. And then after the service, we're going to have the kids come up and be part of the, the photo as well. So spend a few minute, moments asking the Holy Spirit to help you believe that Jesus is with you in what you're currently dealing with at this moment. Then I'll close this in a few moments. you and it's a great comfort I think to for us to realize that when we come to you we, we come to a savior and a high priest who understands what it's like to be human we don't come to someone who, who, who has no experiences of what it means to be tempted we come to a savior who does one who, who is tempted in every way and yet without sin so I thank you that when we come, you, you understand us, you sympathize with us, and you're with us in ways that are real, not superficial. And so I pray for each of us as we go out this week. We're going to engage. We're going to face all types of temptations. Temptations to meet our immediate needs in a way that's on us, God. Temptations for self-preservation. Temptations to, to test your faithfulness in, in ways that are harmful to us. So help our unbelief. Help us to believe that you are faithful to us no matter what we're going through. Help us to know that we're not alone in these struggles. Give us relationships, true relationships with, with brothers and sisters who, who will walk with us and we can walk with them through these struggles of life. And so, Jesus, thank you. Be with us. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.